For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Can you believe this? Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Welcome in and what the Pell is up. This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started, going to remind you, make sure you subscribe and or follow depending on where you're listening to this podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave that rate and review. That really helps us out. Only got like 24 and we've got over almost 4,000 listens now. So if you're on Apple Podcasts and you have the time, which is about 30 seconds total, and you want to do that again, it would really, really help us out. And also, as always, make sure to tell a friend about the podcast, whether they're Pelicans fans or NBA fans in general. So lots of stuff on today's podcast and a lot has happened in the last really 12 hours as I'm sitting down to record this. So uh, be prepared. This one's going to be dense, folks. But before I, I start talking this coaching search and all the breaking news that we've heard as of late, I want to let you know, usually this isn't anything that I like drastically edit, but I go back and get rid of some of the ums and the uhs and, and stuff like that. But right now I'm recording this. It's 11 p.m. and I have to work at 9 a.m. So typically this takes about half an hour to record. There also might be a few burps in there or something like that. Squirting water, you know, that nasty sound. So just so you know, not editing tonight's episode. I'm just going to post it right up so I can be ready at 5 a.m. Like always. So if it's not as tip-top shape as usual, usual that is, that'd be why we're... Frick them, we're going live. That's the issue. Uh, and if you don't know that quote... <laughs> You're not missing out on much. Anyway, just so you know, if there's anything that you happen to notice that is not usually there, that'd be why. So for today's episode, we're continuing the coaching search talk. And there's there's one thing to be taken away from what's happened in the last 12 hours. It is that Ty Lu is the guy for the New Orleans Pelicans. This is the person that David Griffin and the rest of the front office want to be at the helm for the New Orleans Pelicans. Whether he's available and whether he wants to come to New Orleans is another thing because, well, he's really wanted in Houston and Los Angeles as well. Given the fact that Los Angeles, you know, he was, an, or I think he was the associate head coach or at the very least he was an assistant coach there with Doc Rivers. So if you're really trying to switch things up from Rivers, that's not the greatest move necessarily, but he does know the roster as it is. And, and a lot of people like him and a lot of people know him, respect him. So retaining him in Los Angeles would make sense for the Clippers. And for Houston, I don't like, I mean, I wouldn't want to go there if I was 
unemployed for years and a basketball coach. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Obviously, would, would value that position. You get a coach, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, but like dealing with the cap space, dealing with the roster, I don't know why anybody would want to go there. I think it's a fit for Mike D'Antoni. He apparently wanted to come back, but he's the only coach that I would really want there. I mean, I just don't see anybody else being successful. I give it to Sam Cassell by all means. I think Cassell could use some coaching experience at the head coaching position. I think he'd be really good at it. I think Cassell would have been a good fit in New Orleans too, but I just don't see Ty Lue fitting in there. I don't think Ty Lue is... He's not... Not that Houston isn't... Hmm, Let me try to think this through. He's not a bad fit for Houston. Houston's a bad fit for him. That's a good way to put it because I have a lot of respect for Ty Lue. Do I think he's the top option for New Orleans? No. But Houston just ain't it. I, I just have... And I have a disdain for the way that James Harden plays. So I'm probably a little bit biased here. But anyway... If he gets hired in New Orleans, we'll do a deep dive, deeper dive on him soon. We've been talking about it a little bit here and there on the podcast. So should he ultimately be the guy that the Pels bring in? We'll have somebody that's, you know, got a Cavaliers podcast or something come on and we'll talk Ty Lue a bit a little bit more in depth. We'll also, I'm sure, have some other Pelicans people on, whether it's Lewis Prejean, Ali again, Preston Ellis, David Grubb, somebody of of that sort. Maybe Jake Madison, maybe Fletcher Mackle. I will never know how to pronounce his name until he's on the show. So eventually we will do a deeper dive on Lou. Should he be the guy that the Pelicans bring in for right now? I think a majority of people know enough about him that it isn't necessary. It's not necessary. So we won't be doing that for now, maybe later. But, uh, and I, I said the Ty Lue thing might be the one thing to take away because he will be the first option for the Pelicans should he be available. But the real news that has come today, the real Woj bomb that we've been aware of is that the Pels are apparently interested in San Van Gundy being their next head coach. Van Gundy, who is 61, has a 523 and 300. 384 record in the NBA, which is above 500.577 regular season record. And then he's 48 and 43 in the playoffs as well. So Van Gundy's been in the league since 1995 as an assistant head coach and then ultimately got his first head coaching gig. I believe that was 2003 with the Miami Heat. And he, currently, he hasn't coached since 2018. So he's been in the, he was in the league for over 20 years and consistently got jobs, but never really got it done. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here. But like I said, he coached with the Miami Heat, was traded to the Orlando Magic for two second round picks, believe it or not, and then was ultimately hired by the Detroit Pistons. I believe that was 2014. So in his 11 full seasons as a head coach in the NBA, he did get some starts and ultimately didn't finish the season with a, with a few of the team with, you know, the Heat, the Magic and, and the Pistons. But in his seasons where he was able to complete a full season with each of these teams. He had seven winning seasons, four losing seasons, and three of those four were with the Pistons, who pretty much have been a garbage franchise since, you know, the Chauncey Billups era ended in Detroit. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I think that's fair. I think given what was going on in in Detroit with, with his position gives him a little bit of leeway in a sense. And, and again, we'll talk about that here soon. But there's 
a few things we got to hit on with each of these teams and, and what we know about Van Gundy is that, well, with the Miami Heat, when he took over, that was Dwayne Wade's rookie year. And Dwayne Wade became what we know Dwayne Wade became, probably the third greatest shooting guard of all time behind Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And I think that's fair. Might be a little bit biased. Dwayne Wade's my favorite player of all time. But yeah, Coach D. Wade, his first three years in the NBA, led the Heat to a 59-23 and record the year before they went to the NBA Finals. Ultimately, Pat Riley took over for him the following year. And the Heat went on to win their championship with D. Wade and Shaq in 2006. And that was a similar situation, I think, to, you know, the Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr kind of thing, the Doug Collins to Phil Jackson. It just worked out that way. Pat Riley is one of the greatest coaches of all time. We cannot fault Stan Van Gundy for that situation. At least I don't think. They started that season 11 and 10 and then ultimately gave the reins over to Pat Riley. So you can blame Stan Stan Van Gundy for that. What are you going to do? I don't know. Following that, he went on to coach the Orlando Magic and ultimately led them to a 2008 and 2009 NBA Finals appearance in which they lost to the Los Angeles Lakers, I believe in six games. Not positive on that one, but in his tenure with Orlando, he did win 59 games in two seasons. Ultimately coached JJ, not ultimately, but did coach JJ Redick over his tenure in Orlando and from what we know, Orlando, or JJ's probably been a big piece in why Stan Van Gunny has even been offered an interview. So, and again, we'll talk about that pretty in depth here in in the bottom of this Stan Van Gundy segment we've got going on here, which probably going to be a little hefty. So, I'm going to have to stick around. The thing that sticks out that I didn't think about that Ollie Cosell brought about on his Twitter was that. Basically, the the offense that Van Gundy ran in Orlando was a four-out, one-in type of offense because Dwight Howard was a absolute monster at that point in time. Yes, Howard has had a resurrection of his career, but for a good five, six years there, Dwight was pretty much irrelevant. And we kind of forgot how amazing he was in Orlando. And he was amazing. Probably should have competed for an MVP candidacy for a little while there. And I mean, ask JJ Redick. He talked about it on the All the Smoke podcast that he appeared on fairly recently, that podcast that's hosted by Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. So that four in, or excuse me, four out, one in type of offense with Dwight Howard was Howard obviously on the inside and shooters on the outside. So he had JJ Redick, Hito Turkoglu. <laughs> Hito was a freaking bucket back in the day. This is about the time that I started getting invested into sports, and that dude did not miss three point shots. And then there was Richard Lewis, Courtney Lee, Jameer Nelson, who Jameer Nelson was a baller back in the day, too. And then Michael Pietris, who could fill it up as well. So that model, that four out, one in model with Zion. Brandon Ingram, and J.J. Redick, and two other shooters. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm not uh, necessarily opposed. It could be Melly, could be other pieces that they get in either free agency or, or the draft because that's a model that could really work. And Stan Van Gundy's not necessarily been ahead of his time, but really been on top of things offensively. And maybe that won't work now. Maybe that's not the system to go with, but... I like it. 
I like I like the idea of it. Zion will be dominant in the middle, and if you don't clog the lane with both Favors and Zion, that's gonna be ideal. We've talked about the efficiency of that small ball offense with Zion out there and without Derek Favors clogging the lane, and if Zion can actually protect the rim and not rely completely on his athleticism and learn a little bit defensively from Van Gundy and maybe who else is brought in with the staff, that could be really scary. His third stop in the NBA in the head coaching position was with the Detroit Pistons. He was also the president of basketball operations there in Detroit, and that has scared a lot of people away because that was ugly. Ugly. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you can well, you can look it up, but also... <laughs> If you've never watched or heard of Game of Zones, this animation thing that or animated series that Bleacher Report put put on YouTube, it's first of all it's hilarious. It's basically a combination of Game of Thrones and the NBA, but it's so funny. And there's an episode specifically dedicated to Jeff and Stan Van Gundy. Look it up. It's so freaking funny. Oh god, it's hilarious. Not just that specific episode, but the whole series. So so check it out and and you'll know what I'm talking about. But as president of basketball operations there in Detroit, Stan didn't do the greatest, Let's, if we're going to be honest. So in 2014, when he started with the team, the, the Pistons only had a second-round pick, and they actually grabbed Spencer Dinwiddie. Did he do much in Detroit? No. He went on to Brooklyn and developed really well there. So we know what he became. So, I mean, props to him for making that pick. 2015... Van Gundy took Stanley Johnson with the eighth pick, who has never averaged more than 8.7 points per game, and that was in his third year, and he's been in the league for six, seven, eight years now. Let's see. So six, five, six years now. Hasn't really done much. He's pretty much a role player off the bench, not really known for being great at anything either. So take with that what you will. Devin Booker and Miles Turner were available and taken after Johnson at that point in time. Did we all really know what Devin Booker was going to be? No. Miles Turner was, if I remember right, projected pretty high and just fell past him. I liked Stanley Johnson at the time. I thought he was pretty versatile. He should have stayed in college a little bit longer to develop. Wasn't ready for the NBA, clearly. And he's still in the league, but not, not necessarily doing much. 2016, Van Gundy contributed to drafting Henry Ellenson with the 18th overall pick, who has played 81 games in the last five seasons. So not getting much from Mr. Ellison there, Van Gundy, in 2016. And then 2017, the, the Pistons drafted Luke Kennard with the 12th pick, who's a scoring kind of guy, doesn't really play defense, he's a shooter. There you go. Basically what I'm getting at here is that Van Gundy... Uh, not a great drafter. Granted, he's not going to be at the head of things. So this is what I was talking about. A lot of what he's what he did in Detroit kind of has worried people. He's more of a 500 head coach. Did have one winning season there, but basically sitting around that 500 mark and not really getting much better. Um, and, and considering the fact that he was the head of basketball operations, who was brought in from free agency, who was drafted. That is a knock against him, but it's also not because David Griffin will be in charge of and Trajan Langdon will be in charge of all of that in New Orleans. We don't have to worry about that with with Stan and 
So there's that. I, I mean, so you, you can blame him for that partially for evaluating talent and developing talent, but I don't think that's a big enough concern. I mean, he did probably partake in developing Dwayne Wade, who again is the third best shooting guard of all time, helped in developing J.J. Redick, which again we'll get to here in a little bit. But to boot, Van Gundy really couldn't get the pieces to fit together in Detroit. I mean, he had Tobias, Avery Bradley, Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, who are all at least somewhat talented players. I like Avery Bradley a lot. Tobias Harris was once viewed as a pretty good player. <laughs> Not so much anymore, given the the amount of money that he's making in Philadelphia and the fact that he can't make some jump shots. But ultimately, Van Gundy also made some moves, including shipping Tobias Bradley Boban in a first-round pick to Los Angeles for Blake Griffin. That was rough. Blake's out of his prime, I think. I mean, he can make a jump shot. He's not as athletic as he used to be, obviously. So take with that what you will. Again, we know he won't be that basketball, head of basketball operations, president of basketball operations, whatever you want to call it, in New Orleans. That's David Griffin. That's Trajan Langdon. So less to worry about. Less to worry about there. I think... Based on what we're going to talk about here, he has much more pull to New Orleans than I definitely initially thought. I was not happy about this at all when the news broke. But again, I've kind of been swayed into it. I like it a little bit more now that I'm reading into it, and, and you'll hear why right at this very moment. So Van Gundy's known as a structure and strong personality type of guy. He is meticulous. He is known as a kind of a micromanager, but you really get attention to detail with Stan Van Gundy. Essentially, he is the polar opposite of Alvin Gentry, which is a good thing, I would say. Alvin Gentry, again, we've talked about it before, excellent as an associate head coach. Sacramento got a good one. But Stan is the polar opposite, and at the head coaching position, that's going to be better for at least the way this team is constructed. I mean, it's young. Uh, he's going to bring a lot of structure. He's going to bring a lot of this is how it's done, and this is how it's going to be done. But you can hire coaches that complement that too, guys who are a little bit more lax, guys who are more focused on development. And again, that's something that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but on the Low Post podcast, which is a podcast by Zach Lowe, who is phenomenal. He's a great NBA writer. Check out his stuff. Listen to his podcast. Stan Van Gundy, uh, we'll, we'll talk about specific players here because they were talking about specific players on the Pelicans. I believe this was recorded in July, but he really just heaped on the praise and also recognized the issues that a lot of the players had this season and have. Uh, that w will likely have going forward. So first off, they started talking about the Grizzlies in this podcast and then transitioned into the Pelicans. But he was talking about John ja Morant and said something to the effect that for the most part, point guards tend to struggle when they enter the league, even the good ones. In their first year, point guards don't necessarily transition super well because of the well, the the, the pace of the game, the space, spacing, the the... Um, 
defenses are different. Offenses are different. It's just a completely different game. And what I took away from that before he even started talking about Lonzo Ball was that he probably is aware of the things that Lonzo Ball has struggled with and maybe can make him develop and recognize things that otherwise he he otherwise wouldn't have. I think obviously Zoe developed a lot this year with Alvin Gentry, with Fred Vinson, but he didn't have that before. He was, pre- I mean, there was a lot of pressure on Zoe prior to, so pressure's lessened. He's going to get a different coach. We'll see what happens. But Van Gundy went on to say he liked the quantity of shots during the regular season. Basically what, what SVG was saying was, Zoe, you're open, shoot it. There were a couple times, and I talked about this, and it pissed me off in the bubble because it was the level of urgency was different. In a regular season game, you can get away with this. But the circumstances begged for something different. And what Van Gundy was getting at was in the regular season, Zoe went from shooting, he'd be one of five, and then he'd stop shooting. And Gentry really plugged it into him, plugged it into his brain that if you go one of five, keep shooting because we need you to work on that jump shot and we need you to get comfortable and confident in that jump shot. And Zoe started doing that. And ultimately, there were some nights where he'd go one of 10 or like two of 13 or something like that, like he did in the bubble, which, again, really pissed me off in the bubble. But the frame of mind changed for Zoe in the regular season, which is absolutely okay to do in the regular season, to work on the jump shot, to get confident in the jump shot, to be confident in his scoring ability. And basically what it was was, you're open, shoot it. And that really helped out with Lonzo's development. And I like that Stan Van Gundy's behind that. He talked about continued development for Zoe, and that's partially shots off the dribble. Finishing at the rim, which we all know that needs to be <laughs> needs to be improved for, for Lonzo Ball. But talked a lot about the stuff off the dribble. No jump shot off the dribble. No floater off the bounce. He likes Lonzo a lot. Likes his passing, his defense, his ability to make three. And we've talked a lot about one of the really big weaknesses of Lonzo Ball and that is his inability to facilitate a half-court offense. And Stan Van Gundy, on this podcast, said that clearly Lonzo doesn't have to do that. And we're well aware of that. I mean, in the NBA, how frequently are point guards necessarily pressured to be the initiator or the facilitator of the offense? It's great when it happens. Chris Paul is fantastic at it. But how frequently... Is it? I mean, it's just not required anymore. I mean, put the ball in Bi's hands, put the ball in Zion's hands, put the ball in Drew Holiday's hands, and let them initiate the offense. Let them facilitate the offense, and make Zoe a stand and shoot guy. Get him better at the catch and shoot because he clearly did get better at the three point shot. Make him an off the ball guy so he doesn't have to put the ball on the ground as much. Put him in a you know we don't want him taking his taking as many three point shots as Steph Curry, but we know that Steph Curry is constantly moving off the ball. And if you know it doesn't have to be the same exist exact system. I don't want it to be the same exact exact system that the Warriors are running, especially comparing Lonzo Ball to Steph Curry, which I will never do again. I promise. I am not. Uh, I'm not Levar Ball, but it's. I it's. I think it's a good idea. I like it a lot. I, I don't necessarily think that Alvin Gentry really even considered that Lonzo was on the ball all the time. In a situation as this, Zoe can still be your outlet guy and get going in transition because we know that Zoe is fantastic in transition. You keep him in that sort of 
pace of play rather than having to facilitate the half-court offense too. He's going to be comfortable. He's going to be more confident. And with that confidence, he's more than likely going to make more jump shots. And again, if you keep Fred Vinson on staff, that's going to help so much with Lonzo and another continued year of development. I have been saying it. I'm okay with them trading him away, but I think you really got to give him another year. I really do. I really, really do. I like Lonzo. I mean, he's good at defense. Again, all these things that SVG emphasized is he's good at, he's a good passer. He's pretty good at defense and he makes the three when he's open and <laughs> when you're not in Orlando. So there's Lonzo for you. And, and I like basically everything that he said. I mean, I do like everything that he said about Zoe. So the other, one of the other young pieces in New Orleans is the main piece. And it's Zion Williamson, whether you want to say B.I. or Zion's the main piece is up to you. But to me, Zion's the main piece. And he talked about this team having a different level of confidence with Zion on the floor and referenced some clear stats that he knew off the top of his head, whether he had them clearly available or not. I don't know. But these stats are the fact that the Pels were third in the league in points in the paint when Zion came back, seventh in free throw attempts when Zion came back. He loves the fact that Zion is not a ball stopper on offense, and that is freaking awesome, and that's what we love about Zion Williamson. One of the things that we love about Zion Williamson, I mean, he said it. When you get the ball, shoot it, pass it, or move it. Move it being dribble. So, Zion does all that. That's how Zion plays. The ball is not going to stay in Zion's hands. Some of the critiques about Brandon Ingram is that he holds onto the ball too long. Zion doesn't do that. Zion does not do that at all. And, I mean, you could rave about Zion forever and ever. SVG could have. I think He did to an extent, but it's just not necessary to go into. He, he loves the way Zion plays. He sees the potential to grow. And he talks about this basically holistically as a team, but a lot of it was emphasized about Zion Williamson as well. So to continue before I reference those things, what he talked about was the fact that this team has so much upside, so much upside, eight guys on the team that played a lot who are 25 or younger. And and the Pels went 11 and five in the stretch before Zion came back. And when Zion came back, obviously they were so much better. He talked about David Griffins, who said, I mean, he said, I don't know if anybody in the league has done a better job than David Griffin. He said, look at look all the other people that he added to this team. Yeah, you got lucky getting Zion in the number one overall pick, but look what he went out and did. He got Josh Hart, Brent Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Jackson Hayes, Nicolo Melli, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Derek Favors via trade, signed J.J. Redick, did all these things, and he absolutely loves what David Griffin does and is doing and therefore although Stan has had that president of basketball operations position before it appears that he would co or he would listen or, or endorse basically anything that David Griffin does he liked what he did in Cleveland he likes what he's doing in New Orleans and it sounds like he trusts Stan Van Gundy at the helm went on to say I don't know if there's anybody you'd rather have in charge about David Griffin. 
And he said that this team is exciting and they've got a lot of options, but they're also, there are areas to improve. And that's one, take care of the ball. They were last in the league in turnovers. And that might've been in a specific time of, of the season. I can't remember, but in, in this podcast, he, he really emphasized that. And again, this is about Zion too. Zion's great with the basketball. He's just young and he, he gets excited and <laughs> moves the ball a little bit too quick. Like I said, he doesn't hold on to it very long, but he's going to learn and he needs to learn to make those reads and be smart with the ball when he passes it. So like I said, turnovers, big issue for this team, big issue for Zion. The second one, we all know it, defensive improvement. They have to get back on defense and protect the paint. And SVG said it. He believes that the personnel is good enough and was good enough this season, whether or not all these pieces are going to be around this coming year, who knows. But they had favors, Josh Hart, Drew, and Zoe. And here is the thing. Here is what I love about what he said. And it's very brief. It's very poignant. It's very succinct, but it is extremely, extremely accurate. And he said that this team needs to show a much greater sense of urgency defensively. Can I get an amen, Pelicans fans? Hell freaking yeah, Stan Van Gundy. There's one thing in this entirety of the interview that he had or this conversation that he had with low with the low post, Zach Lowe, on this podcast, it is that. I'm going to say it verbatim once again. This team needs to show a much greater sense of urgency defensively. Inject that quote into my veins, Stan Van Gundy. It's so simple. It's so true. We all know it. But damn, it's good to hear somebody say it, especially who's in the candidacy for the head coaching position in New Orleans. Do they need a sense of urgency defensively? Hell freaking yeah. And, and with the meticulousness, the rigidity of, of Stan Van Gundy, he's going to get it in and he's going <laughs> to, he's going <laughs> to make the, make the emphasis on it really, really strong. And players are going to know what they're doing. This has been a clear, clear statement by former, I mean, by Pistons writers. I saw an article by Duncan Smith on, on Hoops Habit by folks that have played for him. He is very meticulous. He's very, like I said, not necessarily, micromanager is a strong word, and I hate that, that, that what the, the, the uh, connotations of that word. But anyway, he's going to be, He's going to be really on top of things and know what to do defensively and change things for the Pelicans. I saw a stat, believe it or not, somebody tweeted at me. Uh, it was Will underscore Nola on Twitter. He, he has some good Pels content there. So thanks for that, Will underscore Nola. I hope you uh, check out the podcast. But he said, for what it's worth in his stints, which were nine seasons with Orlando and Detroit, Stan Van Gundy only had one team outside the top 15 defensively, which was his first team with Detroit, and six finished in the top 10. So shout out to Will underscore Nola. Love that stat. I, I wasn't aware of that. I just, I mean, I was saying the team needs to get better defensively. I'm not necessarily making reference to Stan Van Gundy, but just in general. So there it is. Couple more things about Stan Van Gundy because the dude has a, a good resume and it's kind of tainted by his recent Detroit years, but he does have a good resume and he's built a lot of rapport with one guy on the roster who has a lot of respect in New Orleans throughout the league and throughout the media now because he's part of that. But it's JJ Redick. Really, really liked him 
and and thought they should have won a title when they were all in Orlando. Those two and you know Dwight Howard, the Richard Lewis, the Hito Turkoglu, those guys. And I'm going to reference some quotes here from the All the Smoke or is it yeah All the Smoke podcast with Matt Bards and Stephen Jackson. And this is a direct quote from Reddick on actually an initial podcast that Reddick had in 2016 called The Chronicles of Reddick, which was. I don't know that I've ever seen around, ever been around any coach, and I've played for great coaches and play for a great coach right now, but I don't know if I've ever been any coach who holds himself so accountable. So not only is he going to hold his players accountable, but he's going to hold himself accountable. And by holding himself accountable, that's going to translate to holding the players accountable. You love that. Self-criticism is great when it's accurate and when it's quick and when you move on in terms of recognizing it but using it to get better. And if Stan Van Gundy can do that, sign me up. Another two quotes from the All the Smoke podcast was that JJ said that Stan had a bigger impact on his career than any coach he's played for in the NBA. Fine. So comparatively to Alvin Gentry, Doc Rivers, and... Brett Brown. I think that's it. But still, that's a lot. I mean, he's been around a lot of coaches. And he said, Stan had a bigger, bigger impact on his career than any coach I've ever played for. The best coach I've played for in the NBA. He was so prepared, worked so hard, took such responsibility on what he could control. And Matt Barnes went on to add, his attention to detail was crazy. And again, this was all on the All the Smoke podcast. You hear that from two vets, one an NBA champ and Matt Barnes and, and two guys who are on some pretty talented teams in Orlando and in Los Angeles together. The Clippers, Matt Barnes having played with Kobe at one point in time. I mean, I just love this. And JJ, I've mentioned trading him in a package with, with Drew Holiday. I don't want to. This is all just, it's all been speculation. I'll reiterate it. It's all been speculation. Not necessarily something that I want to do, but damn, damn, I love JJ. And he's so articulate. He's so well-spoken. He's so good at his podcast. If you haven't listened to The Old Man in the Three, the podcast that he hosts, you got to check it out. JJ's the freaking man, and he's so good at putting in things into words, explaining basketball, and he reveres Stan Van Gundy. So I'm... I, I'm going to wrap this up with with a couple things about SVG. And this was a tweet. He, he kind of took Twitter by storm prior to the bubble. This is a tweet from July 13th that Stan Van Gundy said, How good can New Orleans be? Well, since Zion came back, they were 11-9 and nine and ranked 11th offensively and 8th defensively. And they have eight guys 25 or younger. Zion, Ingram, Ball, Hart, Jackson, <laughs> Hayes, Alexander Walker, and Okafor. Pelicans fans have to be excited. And initially, I was not excited about Stan Van Gundy at all. But if we're referring back to this podcast from yesterday, oh, I get goosebumps thinking about it. 
if they can bring in, the Pelicans can bring in Stan Van Gundy as head coach, retain Fred Vinson, and then go out and get Will Weaver and Kenny Atkinson as assistants, because if they don't hire Kenny Atkinson as a head coach and he doesn't get hired elsewhere, frick yeah, sign me up for bringing him on the staff. If you can get Weaver, Kenny Atkinson as assistants, and Stan Van Gundy as head coach, hell the frick yeah, sign me up. SVG can be the old school hard ass, and these two can be brought in for development and bring the nice guy vibes. I don't necessarily know the type of vibes that Kenny Atkinson brings, but Will Weaver can be an Alvin Gentry for this team in the the come to me, learn from me, I'll, I'll be the chill guy kind of vibes. I'll be the guy that you get along with kind of vibes. Like there's an assistant coach and he can be a real dick sometimes, but you go to Will Weaver, you don't necessarily complain about Stan Van Gundy, but you know you're going to get along with Will Weaver at all times. He's going to teach you something. He's going to make you better. You're going to win. That is my dream staff, I think. Unless anything else (laughs) comes to fruition. Because this this has just been a roller coaster ride for for Pelicans fans, and I think Dream Staff is a little bit too much. It's my Dream Staff in that scenario. I want Will Weaver. I want Kenny Adkinson. It appears those two. Will Weaver appears to be in the final four candidates for the head coaching position. Atkinson looks out of the race, but if you can bring Atkinson as an assistant, Will Weaver as an assistant, and then bring in either Ty Lue or Stan Van Gundy as head coaches, done and done. I think that's the best route based on the four available guys that the Pelicans are looking at. Those being Stan Van Gundy, Ty Lue, Will Weaver. And to transition here off Stan Van Gundy, Jamal Mosley. So talked about him a little bit on yesterday's podcast. Jamal Mosley. This name was added to the mix by Tim McMahon on the the podcast that I referenced, the Hoop Collective. And not a guy that I know of. Played professionally for a while. Played for Colorado back in the day. Um, I think it was like second team all Pac-12 or something at one point in time. One of the few players in Colorado history who scored over 1,000 points in his career for the the Buffs. Buffs? Are they the Buffs or the Buffaloes? I don't know. Anyway. Mosley. Been in the league for a while. Coached with the Nuggets as a he's a player development coach and an assistant coach from 2006 to 2010. Went on to be an assistant with the Cavaliers in 2010 to 2014. So he's got a connection to Griff there. Um, ultimately actually drew interest from the Cavaliers for a head coaching position last year, but opted to stay with the Mavericks. So he was under George Carl in Denver. And Carl had nothing but good things to say about Mosley, really. I mean, this quote, I think, yeah, this is from the New York Post, which, you know, how reliable that is. But Carl said, I thought he had a great connection with today's players. He was hungry. He was a big, he was big in player development. Then toward the end of his time, we gave him scouting reports, game plan responsibilities. He was really good with basketball intellect and really good with players. That's the combo you need in today's world and changing attitudes of the young players. Worked closely with Carmelo Anthony, like that. Also, Carl said on his podcast that Jamal Mosley was enthusiastic daily and he had a desire to put in the time to be a really good coach. 
He went on to say, he reminds me a lot of coach Dwayne Casey when I had him in Seattle and Terry Stotts, who's former assistant of Carl and now the head coach in Portland. They both went on to be very good head coaches. And like them, Jamal is defensive minded, which we like to hear. Obviously, you know that based on that first segment, but he has been the Mavericks uh, defensive coordinator, excuse me, for the last six years under Rick Carlisle. He might have like eventually got that position and started as just an assistant. I'm not sure, but he was under Rick Carlisle for that entire amount of time. He's been Luca's go-to guy, according to McMahon, which they didn't really elaborate on, but like to hear that. We heard a lot about the same thing about David Vanterpool with the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. But like I said, he was the Mavericks defensive coordinator, which their defense has been pretty awful. But the quote from the podcast was uh, something to the effect of, I think I said it on yesterday's podcast, was trying to make chicken salad with chicken feathers because the it was just a the roster was just full of a bunch of bad defenders. That's just that's just the way it is. But I mean, what yeah, what do you do with a roster that has absolutely zero defenders on it? Like, how do you? I, you can't blame him for that. It's that defense was atrocious, but when you got Luca and like Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway and Seth Curry, like ooh, <laughs> I don't think they could defend my mother on a basketball court. So there you go. Mosley actually interviewed for multiple other jobs. I, I know of two specifically, but we've heard other stuff about Mosley him interviewing elsewhere but he interviewed for the Knicks job and was also a candidate for the Bulls gig Carlisle actually had some really good stuff to say about him being another being being a coach a head coach in the NBA and he said he's got a great reputation with player development he's worked with for some terrific coaches he was with George Carl for many years he was with Mike Brown he's had a chance to be here, Dallas, with us and be with really an eclectic set of teams over the six years. The good thing about that from a stand coaching standpoint is you're in all kind of development situations. And so I think that he's been really great for all of us, but particularly a young coach like him. That's been really great for all of us, but particularly a young coach like him. There we go. So, a lot of praise from two really good basketball coaches, George Carl and Rick Carlisle, two probably Hall of Famers. So, I mean, what more can you ask for? Is Mosley, you know, going to be a franchise changer? I don't know. Is he going to be the guy for the Pels? I don't know. But that type of praise certainly doesn't hurt. And to add to what was said on yesterday's podcast. I'm just going to reiterate it because it was really briefly talked about by me. Is that Mosley's known as a guy who commands respect in a locker room. And the quote from Windhorst on this Hoop Collective podcast was, it's a big job with Zion. It's a really big job. Not that Zion's hard to handle, but it's more about this is the guy that's got to motivate him. Apparently Mosley can do that. And McMahon added, one thing about Mosley, he can command respect in a room. He's one of the few assistant coaches who, if it's a back alley brawl with NBA players, I'm going to bet on him 95% of the time. That's a lot of percent of the time if you didn't know. 
So much like Van Gundy, who's been in the league for a long time, Mosley can command respect. And that's huge. Just something that the Pels have not had for such a long time and can really be used with such a young team. To boot, he's coached overseas, played overseas, played four seasons, <coughs> excuse me, played four seasons of professional basketball overseas, two years in Australia for the Victoria Titans, one year in Spain with Balanchesto Leon, and one year in Korea. Also a native of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Shouts out to my friends and fam in Wisconsin. Mosley has participated in Basketball Without Borders in Africa on two occasions as well. I don't know exactly in what way or what capacity, but really has a lot of experience all over the world, all over the country. And Windhorse believes that Griff won't hold himself to hiring a big name. So Van Gundy, Ty Lue going to be the big names. Mosley, Weaver, definitely not big names. Whether that means he's going to put an emphasis on not big names, I don't think so. I think it's just I'm not scared of doing that. I'm not scared of hiring the next, you know, Nick Nurse because Raptors weren't afraid of it and then they won a title. So what are you going to do? Anyway, hopefully uh, this this pod wasn't too messy for you. Hopefully not too, uh, hopefully not very many ums and uhs, but we got it in. Very happy. This was fun. <laughs> that was the fastest 45 minutes of my life. If I'm going to be honest, really enjoyed it. Folks, stick around. We're going to be doing some more coaching stuff here soon. I'm going to be on ESPN 1420 in Lafayette again on Thursday around 3.30 p.m. We'll probably be talking with a few Pelicans people here soon as well. And maybe we'll be getting some other right. I mean, who knows? <laughs> True Holiday Trade Series, probably over. But... <laughs> but we're going to be having some other guests here soon and we're going to we're going to keep getting it for you keep keep getting some awesome hosts or sorry keep getting some awesome guests and some really good content out for you even if it means recording at 11 p.m at night when i have to work the next morning so <laughs> it's because we love you it's because uh love this gig love doing this and thank you for supporting this show love what we do here I believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. And if you want to pay us back in any capacity, go follow at Elliot Clough on Instagram, not Instagram because I don't have that anymore, but on Twitter, you're going to be getting all the Pelicans content there. Even outside of this podcast, I tweet about the Pelicans all the time and I love doing it. But also make sure to leave a rate and review Do it! on this podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, again, that really, really, really helps us out. Go or subscribe and follow, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. Also, go check out thebirdrights.com. You're going to be seeing articles from myself, Ollie Cosell, Chris Connor, Kevin Berrios, David Grubb, Preston Ellis. I'm already said Preston already, but go see it again because there's some really good stuff on there. Really, really good stuff on there. Also, Believe.com has a ton of podcasts. If you want to ever check them out, it's on Believe.com, or you can just search Believe on any platform that you're listening to a podcast. Go follow Elliot Clough. Leave that rate and review. Do it, do it, do it. Much appreciated. Love y'all. Go Pels. This was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. I was and still am going to be your host going forward. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Clough. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.